so much for coming and being on the podcast, Stacey. So exciting. I am really interested to hear everything you have to say, but I think everyone else is going to be interested as well because, and I was kind of thinking about this, about what do I want to start off with? And you kind of touch two of people's biggest fears Mm. every day, Mm -hmm. bees Oh, this is true. (laughs) And death. Yes. How about that? (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, what, what a like nerve wracking. Well, I guess you're probably used to it now. Which part? As much as you can be. Not the bees. (laughs) Let's start with the bees. (laughs) We'll start with the bees. (laughs) Do you still get nervous handling? I do. I do. Um, And I had, I've gotten stung. Um, and I, it, it, it's inevitable. It truly is. Really? Uh, oh yes, it's inevitable. Um, oh. The girl, the honeybees are not aggressive. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, they have a barbed stinger, and so it's one and done for them. Yeah. So they really do make try a, not to. They do, unless they need to defend their um, hive. And there's a couple reasons why they would be aggressive, and we don't have to go into that today if you don't want to. But. Um, uh, my mentor handles them with no gloves and no equipment on at all. But why? <laughs> um, because it's easier to manipulate the frames with your fingertips. Okay, I hear you. I was wearing the clear gloves just to ha- so I wouldn't get into any kind of honey or the bees make a propolis from um, tree bark. Yeah. And that's their sticky stuff where they, you know, seal any kind of cracks. So it's all the frames are stuck together every time I go in there. So I, just to keep, mm. so I was handling them and um, three came up and grabbed and stung my one hand. Oh, and I Jesus. thought, well, here we go. And, and it's okay. I just pulled on the glove and it re- pulled the stinger, you know, up. Yeah. But I still got some dose of the venom. Um, you're not allergic, obviously, because you're still here. Well, it's funny because um, I am, I have gotten full-blown cellulitis from a wasping sting before. Yeah, yeah. I carry EpiPens because um, as I'm exposed to things continuously, my reaction gets worse. Mm. So I was curious to know how this was going to play out. Yeah. Um, uh, they usually go for, they can't see, believe it or not, the honeybees. They go for shading. Um, so it's like a black and white type of thing. A lot of times, I mean, not not necessarily. They do see ultraviolet light very well, but when they come at a person, they go towards the shaded spots because they think either we're a raccoon or a bear. You don't want to wear black when you oh. handle the honeybees. Oh yeah, because the suits are all white. Right, that's right. I'm starting to understand things. And they'll sting your face around your eye orbits or around your ears, mm. um, and so we wear sometimes just a head veil. Yeah. Um, but since I got stung, I mean, it's, um, I'm still very reactive. Like if they, you know, they can land on you and not sting you at all. Yeah, yeah. But because I'm conditioned to like go, you know. Yeah. Um, that's not what you want to do as a beekeeper. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you get past that type of reaction. I'm going to work on it. Just I, get stung a bunch? I, I well, no, but I'm going to work <laughs> on it. So um, sometimes it's your pheromone. Uh, honeybees are very much driven by scent. Oh, oh! It's a, I could talk about this all day. So, I mean, I think humans are kind like very lightly like that, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're the, I mean, their whole life is driven bees. Their whole life is driven by pheromones. I would think then. Very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Inter- 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they smell. What's their favorite smell? I don't Flowers? know, but I can tell you. Oh, <laughs> it, um, lemongrass is their favorite smell. Really? Uh-huh. Lemongrass. I can attract a swarm to an huh. empty box if I put lemongrass oil on the what? perch. I don't, it's not a perch, but the landing Same pad. Same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. They don't like banana smell. What? I have been told do not wear banana sunscreen, uh-huh. banana, any, don't go eat a banana and go out there and handle your, I'm like, okay. Huh. I wonder, you got to wonder where that comes from. Like, did they sometime in the prehistoric era run into a monkey that decimated huge swaths of bee enclosures or something? Or how about this? Because they used to bring, you know, bees were introduced from England because it was a sweetener for their tea. Uh-huh. And so they brought the beehives over. And back then they had the ones that were like the triangular wicker spirally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they would make the hives underneath that. But in order to harvest the honey, you had to destroy the basket. Oh. Um, and so there's a whole long um, history about how we got to the boxes that we have today. Um, and, and there's variations still, but um, this is... Um, the one that's easiest to use. So when they brought the honey over, wonder if they had a box of bananas. Right. And, yeah. And they were like, well, you know, the bees are going, I don't know. It was like a traumatic experience <laughs> yeah. for all the bees that came over to America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be some shit, truly. So you have a burgeoning YouTube channel. I do. Will you tell me how to spell your handle? So it's chicken bees It's um, or chicken bee. It's, well, I think it's bees. Yeah, it's bees. Yeah. So it's a chick. Yes. Uh, and an and sign. An ampersand. Is mm-hmm. that what it's called? If you say so. <laughs> I'm probably wrong, so. And then uh, bees, <laughs> you know, with the apostrophe S. With apostrophe S. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody needs to go give it a look because one, you've got the most adorable dog in the world. Oh, thanks. Two, you have chickens as well Uh, that's from the chick part yes yes if you want to be entertained and relaxed at the same time that's the place to go like truly i love it go check out agatha um she's our (laughs) feisty angry girl um yes it's just so it's just uh you know i was encouraged to just start um recording you know what i love to do and i i go out there and i do it every day it's it's nothing professional by any means um but um which would probably be boring for me so thank you you're welcome (laughs) i have a full-time job um i have a a two-car you know garage garden space i've got three chickens and i've got uh two beehives this is my first year tending bees so i'm on pins and needles yeah um but i'm doing really well and uh, my mentor which hopefully i'll be able to upload him at some point he says we've had many, many challenges, so that's a great learning curve. Oh, seriously, I, I don't think you can learn without failing in some way, Definitely. shape, or form. Because mm-hmm. I don't know how you take in any information otherwise. Especially for me, I'm a, a pain is the touchstone of all learning kind of person, and if I don't mess up, I'm not going to learn anything. Because, I mean, one, why would I? If everything's just la-di-da-di-da and I'm doing it all perfectly, I'm not gaining any knowledge. And I think, especially for me and my channel, like, failure has taught me all the things. Oh, it catches your attention. (laughs) Yeah. And in catastrophic ways, sometimes, Unfortunately. unfortunately. But it makes me be like, oh, okay, well... I need to do this, this, and this next time, or I don't need to do this next time. And I'm still not good at most of it, especially like you have to worry about audio 
I'm adding an element of video now, obviously, and there's lighting and there, it's a shit show. But I, I think that it helps in general because I'm, I'm wanting to do the same thing that you're doing is be able to have everyone join in with me on something that I love and would be doing anyway, hopefully, which is having good conversations with people. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned full-time job. Yeah. I feel like you have one of the hardest jobs out there. And you are a hospice nurse. I am. I cannot even fathom. First, being a nurse, period, because I don't have that particular skill set in me. I have a terrible bedside manner. (laughs) It's real bad, and I'm working on it. But to be with people at that stage of their life and to have to witness people's – just the people you're taking care of, their most vulnerable moment and their entire family's most vulnerable moment and be a witness for that. Yes. So I want to jump right in and then we can backtrack. Do you feel like you can tell when someone's soul moves on? That's a really great question. Um, I have to honestly say that I don't know that I have the experience that I've been there for that moment. Gotcha. But um, I have a plethora of stories. Yeah. So, um, yes, I truly believe there is something tangible that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And you are present for a lot of death. It's interesting within the hospice realm, I am not. Oh. Right. Gotcha. So this was your previous employment. So I've got, um, I've been a nurse for um, over 23 years and my primary area was critical care. Ah, yeah. I thought it was just when you were a hospice nurse that you were, it was the, like, ICU. That's where oh. I was literally present for people's passing. Gotcha. Um, I worked medical ICU, neuro ICU, and surgical ICU. Yeah. All a little bit different. Um, but that's where I'm involved in, in the codes. That's yes. where I'm involved, you know, preparing the room for the family to come in because we're getting ready to do stop things mm-hmm. um so that i have i have literally been present for not exaggerating probably a, a thousand expirations yeah mm-hmm. how do you not how do you balance not being completely numb to it but also not being overly emotional about it that's a great question is that like impossible <laughs> um well obviously it's not impossible yeah um, it's definitely been a learning curve for me as being a young nurse, moving into being an experienced nurse. Yeah. Um, when we, so here's a little bit of insight. Yeah. So, you know, I, I worked nights, um, on surgical ICU with a great group of people. Um, nights means that there's less of us, mm. there's less support. Um, and so we do more. Gotcha. Um, and I used to train new nurses on the ICU and, um, my spiel was if, if your patient codes, it should never be a surprise to you. Mm. You should know that it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's only so much intervention that we can do. Yeah. And then the body displays what it's going to do um, according to the disease process yeah. or the trauma. Yeah. So um, we were always prepared, you know, guys, uh, you know, any minute now, just, you know, wrap up stuff. I'm going to need you down in the room. Yeah. Um, and then whether that was successful um, for the patient or not, um, you know, we would finish our professional duties, but then a few minutes later, we might be in the med room that's a closed door, mm. and we're laughing hysterically about 
Chinese food. Yeah. Or or yeah. something completely unrelated and we just cannot even, you know, catch a breath. And that's how mm. we blow that energy off. Yeah. That's how we switch gears a little bit um, to download so it's not so overwhelming. Yeah. I'm going to adjust you while you just sit down next to me. I am really intrigued by the whole death and dying process, as I think most people who are not familiar with the body systems are. Mm. So people that don't work in healthcare, I think more of them, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, have a fear of death because they don't understand it. Sure. And you being not only in intimately familiar with it happening in your presence, but also having the case where, like you said, you have clear signs that it's going to happen. Right. And that is just really interesting. And how does this play into your own thoughts on your own death and dying? Or does it? Do you try not to go that far? I don't want to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, who does? Exactly. Um, you know, there's a, there's going to be a little bit of medical humor here. I hope nobody is offended. If they are, they've come to the wrong podcast. So. <laughs> you know, people used to say he died in his sleep or, you know, he got hit by a bus. No, the paramedics said he didn't remember a thing. You know, for us, we're like going, good for him. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, you know, he died in his sleep peacefully. Uh, he had a golden ticket. Yeah. I mean, yeah. literally. Kid no kidding. So um, people go out. People go out. Um, very much if they are dying a natural death, mm -hmm. um, and I, and, and I say when we're talking about not somebody being in a car accident. Yes. Yeah. Um, or like a heart attack or yes. Right. Yeah. A, something sudden. Exactly. Um, they go out very much in tune with their personality and the way they live their life. Huh. I mean, I, I'm seeing it. It's clear as day. And I actually educate my families in that manner, once I can really kind of pinpoint what kind of personality this patient has. Yeah. Um, and it's different for me because I, I'm coming into the picture and I don't know who this person was in their prime. Mm, yeah. But I'm listening mm -hmm. um, and I can watch them and how they respond to pain, um, assistance, yeah. um, deterioration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Think about it this way, you know, when an elderly person loses their driving's license. Yeah. That's a milestone. Yeah. Right? So just let that sink in for a minute and what's been removed from them mm. and how they might respond to that. Yeah. Um, they might be frustrated. They might be in denial. The dying process is a little bit the same way. Yeah. Every stage they go through, they've got to recalibrate and respond. Mm. Um, and, and I see many different responses. Yeah, I that is, that's really cool to think about that your personality does continue on, even if you might not be there mentally or physically as much anymore. Yes. That it truly like that inner essence of you is still present in those moments. Yes. And we had talked a little bit about this not recording, and we were talking about people that maybe – uh, have lost maybe cognizant function or all that have Alzheimer's or something like that. I'm probably saying that wrong, but they don't know who people are. And then suddenly right before death, they have this like moment of clarity. Yes. That's really cool. It is cool. Do you see that happen more often than not or less than? More often than not. 
Really? I, I, we have, I, I, I have patients yeah. um, that um, are non-responsive to verbal and physical stimulation. Um, you know, we have a scale that we rate them on for when they need more assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, and so their total care is what we call it. Um, we're doing everything for them and they're, they're kind of hanging out and breathing with a heartbeat. Um, and still I can see the signs when I know that they're close. Yeah. So my goal really, and with my experience is to help the family understand when we're at the end. T minus two days, T minus yeah. three days moving into, and I have to watch the patient because I, the patient's leading the yeah. way. Yeah. And when they turn a corner, are we going to plateau here or are we going to continue to decline? Um, and so I prepare them, you know, if this happens, if they open their eyes, if they say your name, if they recognize their children, yeah. um, come near. <laughs> Call everybody immediately. I say, yeah. enjoy the moment and tell them everything you want them to hear. Wow. That, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how I educate my, my families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that. I, cause it always used to astound me cause you see it on movies and TV and stuff. They would say like, Oh, they said grandpa's on his way out. We got to go see him before he passes away. And then it's like, it happens like the next day. Right. I was always thinking how the hell do they know that? And it is like a body process thing. Mm -hmm. And you have certain milestones that people either are hitting or not hitting or like a a very, sounds like a very narrow path that they're going to go down to get to that point that you'll see them pass each sign on the way there. That's fair. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. As far as like suffering and things like that, talking about wanting to go out easy. I mean, we can only hope that that's the case. What is your viewpoint on assisted suicide? It's not legal in North Carolina to my knowledge, but your viewpoint as a whole. That's a really good question. Because that's really, that whole thought process, I still don't know where I stand on that. Let, let me pose this question to you. Yes. <clears throat> so if, if my patients were able, so at what point, mm-hmm. let, let me back up. So it, let's say they they sign a contract. Yeah. If this, this, and this happens, uh-huh. just like we have code status here. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. like an NDA. I don't want an NDA, a DNR. DNR. Yes. I don't want to be intubated. I don't want chest compressions. Yeah. I I want to be put to death. When? Yeah. By who? Yeah. Um, with what? With what? <laughs> yeah. Well, the with what's the easy part. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's like who? When do we get to that point? How do we define? Yeah. It's tricky yeah. because by the time they're not going to want to be conscious mm-hmm. to before they, yes or no, yeah. or, you know, when they're out. So somebody's making medical decisions. Mm-hmm. Most of my patients have a healthcare power of attorney. Yeah. 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 And those are the people that I really focus on to educate them because I make suggestions. Yeah. Now I can write them a playbook. Yeah. I would love it if people you could would. say, here's what I would do. Uh, and yeah. I, and I, well, I do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want to say, please do this. <laughs> please. Yeah. Please just do this. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of emotional factors I've got to be aware of and For navigate sure. through. Yeah. Um, but what if, what if their process is the blessing and the importance of growth to the people that surround them? Yeah. That's where, that's where I kind of land on the, I don't know if I'm on board with that because again, the whole playing God aspect, how do we know what's best for us 
or the people around us or how much trauma that might cause instead of a natural death. Like, it's hard to say, especially if you get your emotions wrapped up in it, which it's impossible not to if you see someone suffering or to have to be present for that. It's that trying to weigh out human suffering versus like maybe religious thought or moralistic belief systems or knowing that I don't know what's best for me or the people around me regardless of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Trying to make that choice, I don't know. And even you you think about the the part that the rest of your family is playing in that and them having to agree to it at the end of the day and the person that's actually going to help you kill yourself their thought process, like you being asked to do that as a healthcare provider, that's a heavy burden. And it seems to go against the oath that people take when they become caretakers in the medical field. I don't like you think of Kevorkian and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. How do you know you're not causing harm? You know, how could you ever truly know that you're not going to? What what if what if it's a missed opportunity for that that long lost son to mm. make it in to make an amends? Yeah, I mean yeah. you know, and so we're like, oh, we pulled the trigger on dad on Monday. Sorry, you didn't get a chance. I mean that's yeah. that's forever, mm-hmm. that's forever undone. Yeah, for him. So to me, I think that's the platform I'm going to stand on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you have mentioned you know watching your loved ones suffer. That's the beauty of what we do in hospice. Yeah. Because when I come into the house, I mean, there's lots of skills, and I'm teaching my families to take care of this patient. Yeah. They don't have nursing. I'm not nursing care. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my priority and what I always remind them of, no matter which direction we're going from day to day, my priority is to make sure that my patient is as comfortable as possible. Yeah. And I remind them of that. So, so we come in to decrease the suffering that could take place. Yeah. And we do that with multiple medications that, um, uh, that uh, um, deal with many different kinds of symptoms. Yeah. Whether it's not just pain, yeah, delirium, yeah, agitation, confusion, even like simple dehydration because they can't drink, you know, like having to find a way to make them comfortable in that regard, right. just very surface level stuff, right? It it is a I feel like that's a seems like a heavy burden to place on someone hospice, which is why I find it so interesting. Like you taking because again I have no framework for that thought process because I am not a caretaker. That's not something that I was taught. It's not innately in me. I can do it, yes, but my selfishness and self-centeredness is kind of defected in that area. (laughs) So getting into thinking about someone caring that intimately for another human being is just mind-blowing to me because it's hard for me to get in that headspace because I also don't have like a ton of empathy Mm-hmm. I can have sympathy for people, but yeah. empathy is very difficult for me too. Well, I have to tell on myself because um, I, I really, I mean, I do have compassion for people, but I'm I'm not a people pleaser. Yeah. I, 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 that's not my personality. Um, I'm an educator. Yeah. And I think that's, and being in the ICU and where I've come with my background, um, I have education to offer these people. Yeah. And sometimes they do ask the question because they want to know, well, what's the next phase, um, whether somebody has lung disease or heart disease 
um, or the Alzheimer's or dementia piece, yeah. um, I can ask them point blank, well, how deep do you want me to get in this to you? I'm happy to explain the pathophysiology of it. Yeah. And a lot of times I do, I, you know, I, I have some, I call them spiels, but they're things that people are continue to be receptive to. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that I begin to tell them about what happens when the oxygenation is poor and how that affects the heart and how that affects the blood vessels because the patient gets hot and sweaty. Yeah. The patient goes through physical changes. Uh. The patient becomes discolored. And the family doesn't understand what they're Why? looking at. Yeah. So if I can give them just a little bit of rationale, yeah. that pulls them out of the emotion piece too and gives them something to hang on to. Yeah. And a lot of times it gives them peace. Some reality to be able to focus on. A little like bit of reality. logic. Like something sturdy yes. and concrete mm-hmm. instead of the emotions that I assume are going on, which are just all over the place, I would have to think. You know, my family members um, do get emotional, but more, they are exhausted. Yeah. Because be- it's probably got to be a long road to get to hospice. They're, they're not sleeping. Yeah. They feel frustrated. Um, they feel like they're ineffective. Yeah. They're scared to take care of someone. Uh, we get to the place where now we're going to start turning in the bed and cleaning because the patient's yes. incontinent of stool and urine. Yeah. And they're going, I have to see my parent naked. Uh-huh. And, you know, for me, it's just and, what it is what it, it is. And yeah. I'm like, okay. And so my question is, if you're not comfortable doing it, who who is? Who is? Who, who would you want? Right. You know? Who, like, where's yeah. your support group during this period? Yeah. I need a support group. Will you kind of do? Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Here's some phone numbers for right. you. Yeah. I, I think that it's really interesting having to keep that person in the forefront of your mind because when we get emotional, I'm going to speak for myself, when I get emotional, I lose all concept of other people's feelings and reactions most of the time so in this situation having to remind the family that this yes it is hard and you need support yet this is about this person's Mm -hmm. end of life yep not yours you're going to keep living this is this person's last moments and helping them with that with the medical piece and grounding them in something that is like real and in front of them and you've got a printout with blood work you know like I feel like that has to be soothing, if not like a shock, like a shake on the shoulders. Like, hey, focus on who the important person is here. And I want to get into something a little, this is going to be more opinions and less facts. Okay. Um, Because I've not had the ability to ask anyone about this. How, because we were talking about um, the assisted suicide could potentially take away the ability for people to have last moments with people that they would have otherwise had Mm -hmm. with all of the lockdowns with COVID and people not being able to see their elderly parents and grandparents in nursing facilities or in the ICU or whatever. How the hell do you navigate, or I guess, did you navigate that with having, I don't know if you had to tell these people or counsel them or just be present for it, but how do you tell those people, no, you're not allowed to see this person? I mean, that was really um, overwhelming for me. Yeah. Um, I was still in the hospital system when COVID came in. Um, that was a huge deciding factor for me to step out of the hospital system. Yeah. I was very disappointed with the way they handled things in general, as are many, many nurses. Yeah. Um, you know, you practice what you preach, and uh, we have autonomy 
for care. And anybody that comes in that doesn't want to receive treatment, even though they desperately need treatment, can absolutely leave. Yeah. Um, And so this was kind of was very confusing to me. Yeah. That I was asking to take medicine that I didn't want to take. Um, So at the moment, um, no visitors. So I'm treating patients and their support system, which I was at the cancer center before I made the switch to... um, hospice and so and they need their support people hell yeah that has outcomes on their life and we had volunteers that came in that just talked and i mean we we have people that sit in chairs for eight hours the whole day to receive their treatment Um, and they would have a loved one the loved ones would switch up they would take turns we had people i mean it was as an environmental friendly um um, experience as we could possibly provide for them and then it was a ghost town and then, so I, then I have four patients in chairs getting chemo just staring at me. Yeah. Um, and it was really, um, it was a burden for the nurses to try to be everything. I was going to say, That yeah. these patients needed. Yeah. Because those needs didn't go away. Yeah. Um, so um, I cannot attest to the nursing homes situations, although that just breaks my heart. Yeah. And I think there was evidence that people that were in facilities that were thriving once they were no longer able to have their family with them declined quite rapidly. And I mean, that's proven in many medical studies that you being isolated from anyone, even if you don't like your family, (laughs) being isolated from them and within yourself and being told, you know, like you cannot leave this room that you're in has detrimental effects on not only your quality of life, which obviously, yeah. but the longevity of your life. Yes. That's so terrifying. And the fact that not only did these families miss out on the final moments with their loved ones, yes, but those people died in fear. Yes, they did. Alone. 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 Yeah. Talk, if you want to talk about suffering <sighs> while expiring, being alone yeah. is probably at the top of the list. And being denied things. Could you imagine saying goodbye to your spouse or your child via Zoom oh my from God. the ICU? I would have murdered someone. I think it's despicable. Yeah. I mean, this this could have unrolled so much better. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole, um, this is my opinion. I, yeah. We're, this I, is an opinion I, I think podcast. everything <laughs> was, was run by fear. I think it was, I think it was delivered with fear intended. Yeah. Um, I just looking back, I mean, there's just this push for separation yeah. of people, yeah. um, whether it's proximity, whether it's race, whether it's intentions, whether it's history. It, it, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, I have to remind myself every day how I feel about things, how I think about others. Um, And it's a challenge because everybody is heightened. Everybody is, um, I think fear is such a motivator. It is Mm -hmm. in terrible, terrifying ways. I mean, and that is why I started this podcast. This was at the tail end of lockdown when we were finally allowed to like go get groceries on Tuesdays and Thursdays again or whatever the hell it was. Right. And I was, I am an introvert. I love being alone. You can lock me in a room by myself and I'm <laughs> going to be good. Even without my partner. I mean, truly like I, I can thrive in that environment for a really long time, but this was more than, than I expected. And even me, an extreme introvert, I was dying 
for in-person interaction. Mm -hmm. And I told my friends, I said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to start a podcast. You can come over. I don't care if you wear a mask or if you want to sit far away from me. I started upstairs, so we had a a ton of room between us. And I said, I just want to see your face in person. Mm -hmm. Like, I cannot do this anymore. (laughs) I can't do it. And I want to have real conversations with people again. Because you can't on Zoom. Right. You know, you do that all, hi, everybody. Then you put yourself on mute and then you sit there. Yep. Or you just feel like you're acting the whole time or you're staring at yourself or you're pulling up Amazon or you're, you know. That's true. I I, do that at work meetings. Dude, (laughs) it's inevitable. It's so hard. That's why I can't do Zoom stuff anymore. You give me a, I have a 10 minute max (laughs) and otherwise just call me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just couldn't handle it anymore. And if I was struggling... I can't, I just cannot even fathom. And, and I wasn't living in fear. I feel very lucky about that mm-hmm. because I was told to and somehow circumnavigated that. We won't go down that rabbit hole, but yep. it is something where I try to look at other people's stories that I've heard and like put myself in their shoes. And you mentioned spouses. Like I know this woman and her husband passed away mm-hmm. and he was in the ICU for months. Yep. And I would have rioted. I would be in jail because I would have said or done things that were very unbecoming for me as a human being. And I would have not been able to be pulled away from making those actions because I would have no one around me to counsel me other than over Zoom. And that's not going to calm anybody down, let's be honest here. Right. And, you know, and I think about, you know, my husband, he's very, um, touch oriented. Yeah. Um, just, so is my partner. I mean, he just, you know, just yeah. any, any, anything at all. And I just, um, you know, in, in my dark moments, um, think about if he had been all alone, just surrounded by machinery. Yeah. I, I mean, he, just the, that to me is suffering. Yes. Um, yeah. So what I do to me, um, is offer relief, yeah. education, understanding, counseling, yeah. um, just it's it's a beautiful thing. My my family's um, I don't do it for the kudos, um, and, and and I don't jive. I mean it's a personality thing for sure. Oh yeah. Um, and I have been kicked out of a few homes because I'm I'm speaking reality that they're not ready to process. Yeah. And yeah. so they needed somebody that was much softer and gentler and more of a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and my boss knows that about me. Yeah. And so when you know parameters and my family's appreciate me taking the lead. To, to guide them and yes. start the journey yeah. and to say the hard things. Yeah. Um, if I had someone in my life that was going into hospice, I would ask for you because <laughs> I, that's what I would need. Cause I'm going to be up here in the clouds and I need somebody to like, yes, he, let's refocus Janae. <laughs> well, you know what it is, is it's one thing that you don't have to worry about yeah. because your hospice nurse is coming in. Yeah. She's on top of it. Yeah. Uh, and when they first, co- and now, so I want to clarify, um, when you come into hospice services, you've been referred by a physician, mm-hmm. um, your disease process is at a place where treatment is no longer beneficial yeah. and the, and the, um, Directions, directions. All right, is it you have six months, six <laughs> yeah. months left to live? Uh, some people live two weeks, some people live eight months. I mean, yeah. we're not going to hold anybody to it. Yeah. But we ask them, th- there's no more doctor visits. Yeah. There's no more x rays. There's no more blood work. There's, yeah. it, you know, I have to coach people through if they have chest pain, yeah. you have nitroglycerin. I mean, I have a little black bag. Exactly. Um, so if that, 
let's 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 talk it through. Yes. What would your expect? Oh, I'd call nine one one. Right, because that's what we're conditioned to do. Yes. So I'm constantly repeating myself over and over. And, and the patient's wishes. And too. training them. Well, yeah, a yeah. lot of them are already DNR. Yeah. Um, you know, well, he's not drinking. We need an IV. He's yeah. No, that's not what that's not our philosophy. Yeah. And so I, that's how I say it. Well, yeah. our philosophy is that we want to respect his wishes, provide support, yeah. and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um, and I repeat myself often. Um, I might start out visiting a patient once a week um, towards the end when we are really on top of symptom management and changes. Yeah. Um, I'm there three to four times a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is just absolutely amazing. And thank you. For providing that service, because God knows that's a that's a hard job, and I'll give you kudos. You're not going to give yourself thank kudos. You. I'll give thank you, thank you, kudos. But yeah, I I appreciate your honesty and your willingness to talk about this and all the other things we've talked about that a lot of people just don't want to, because I think it's important, especially with things that people are afraid of, or especially with things that people say, oh, well, I don't want to think about that, so I'm not going to talk about it. I I that is how you stay in fear. And especially when I hear people talk about death, you know, like I'm not, I wasn't built with that fear. I don't know why. I hope to God it doesn't like suddenly appear in my brain later on, but I've never had that fear for some reason, just because I focus on the logical Mm -hmm. aspects of Mm -hmm. it for myself. Now with other people, I'll be a shit show. I'm sure (laughs) it's not going to go well, but for myself, like I watch a lot of medical stuff and I just overly medical documentary surgery person it's just infinitely fascinating it is it is it really the human body is a wonder exactly it's a miracle like that we are alive at any point in time it's just like how you know like and that we stay alive truly is especially me and the things that i've done to my body it's it's remarkable and me thinking through that process logically i just don't have that fear because I've let go of the, well, I need to know mm-hmm. what's going to happen after. I need to know how it's going to feel. I need to whatever. I don't know if it's that I just don't care <laughs> or if I've moved beyond that thought process. Mm-hmm. Like I truly just, it is what it is type of situation. And I want that peace for other people Yeah. or to know that there are people that you can talk to that can help you get to that place. Right. And if you don't talk about death and dying, you're not going to know what resources are out there. A lot of people listening might not even know what hospice is, mm-hmm. you know, that that's even a thing. Yeah. Unless they've had a loved one go into hospice, you probably don't. And that there is support for that phase of life and it doesn't need to be this scary thing. Exactly. It doesn't. Yeah. There are people that are here to educate, support, and encourage, to listen. Yeah. And when you're like, am I supposed to be doing this? Um, and I go, you do not need to do that. Yeah. You know, it re- it releases them. You know, when I say, I-, I just really want you to sit. And I say, you know, in, in my world, it-, it would be ideal if you could just sit and-, yeah. and enjoy the presence, even if you're listening to your loved one breathe a little bit. And I tell them, tell them it's okay to go. Yeah. Um, people need to hear that, and especially um, mothers, because mm. mothers are always mothers. Yeah. And and I encourage the family to sit down and say, Mom, we're going to be okay. Yeah. It's okay for you to go. Yeah. Because people, um, even in the ICU, it was amazing to watch people hang on until 
that conversation until the conversation was had until we knew that we had exhausted yeah um all avenues for survival and then I'll never forget in my second year of nursing I had an an experienced nurse mentioned to me and this woman came every day and cried every day and this man was just status quo on the ventilator and oh. every day and she goes you told her to tell him it's okay to I'm like what and I'm like, what do I say? And like, you know, and I went and, and I very gently presented that to her. Yeah. And she looked at me like aghast, like, you want me to give him permission to die? That's yeah. kind of how I read it. Yeah. And I thought, well, it's not up to you. It isn't. And I think when people can release the control that it, you can't cram food in this in this person, you cannot yeah. make them drink, yeah. you cannot make everything better, you can't do it. Yeah. We're shifting from health focused to not death, yeah. but we're allowing peace. the process. Yeah. And I tell people, you know, we, we, we labor in and we will labor out. Yeah. But with a hospice nurse, you have the medications and the tools. To have some peace. And, and you are, this patient is medicated with pain medicine until we see evidence that they are restful. Yeah. Um, and so back to this woman, I, I'm, I kid you not, um, I kind of introduced that idea to her. And then um, I saw her through the window. Um, she leaned over and spoke to him and yeah. she kissed him on the forehead. And she came through the door and I looked at her and she looked at me and gave me a nod yeah. and went home. And he passed 30 minutes later, 30 minutes later, um, because he had permission and he knew. Yeah. Um, I see. I see men especially pass when when the fa when there's a break in the family, like mm -hmm. like nobody's there. They don't want to do it in front of other people. No, they yeah. they want to have some peace and quiet. Cause they, I mean, <laughs> honestly, I look at it like right. <laughs> finally, you know, the, the wife was there, the sister in law uh -huh. was there, the sister was the there, the daughter was there. Everybody, yeah. he's like, oh my god, can I not get some peace and quiet? I'm taking my I'm taking my moment. Um, so it, it's interesting. I do see some um, uh, differences, yeah. differences, and and some some similarities, like continuously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I will share on a personal note yeah. that if I have a patient come into my care. Um, you know, there definitely are boundaries there. There's a professionalism. I, I want to build confidence. Mm -hmm. I need to build trust. Um, I, I do what I say I'm going to do. I show up when I'm supposed to show up. Yeah. That's part of building trust. Yeah. Um, and if I can't, I call somebody that can. Yeah. Now, when my patients pass, um, it's ironic that we're sitting here today because last week alone, I had four patients pass. Yeah. Four. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Mm. Now, some of them I'm like, okay, that's great. I, I had them for three weeks, a month. Yeah. Well, I had a fellow for eight months. Mm. So, and he had the Alzheimer's dementia combination, and I never really spoke to him. But not only do I lose a patient to death, but I, I lose their family too. Yeah. And their family loses me. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm sitting there trying to comfort them about their husband that's gone 
and her and I are looking at each other knowing that we are no longer going to have conversations about chickens and children and weather and tomatoes and, um, you know, holidays. And, you know, these people, you know, within appropriate boundaries, encourage me. They pray for me. Um, You know, they offer me tokens of appreciation that, you know, are every day for them. Um, and it, uh, and it's hard. And I think, you know, even though I, I, it's not a goodbye, there's no, there's none of that for me because I'm still ushering them into, Mm -hmm. you know, now we're in a new phase of grieving. Yes. Um, I want to be, you know, a a rock, Yeah. but I, my brain goes home and processes that. You have to. I think it surprised me at first that I would just be in a funk Mm. and I'm like, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with my husband. I mean, everything's good with this. Everything's good. Check, check, check. Yeah. Why am I in a funk? And yeah. then it, and then it, I caught on to being like, okay, yeah, I, I need to grieve too. Yeah, no kidding. And that is a big deal. I mean, you've been present with this family for, again, one of the most intimate moments of their life and everything leading up to that. Mm-hmm. It's you are still part of that process. I mean, truly, you're you're physically there. You're mentally there. You are part of their last memories with their loved one. You've got to grieve as much as they do. I mean, you didn't know them for that long, but it's still like, I don't think we should become so distant from death that we go, oh, well, I'm fine. <laughs> you can think that at first, but it, it does affect you on some level. I think it has to oh, you're, if you're, you're human. You're kidding yourself if it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, there's an absence that once something was there and now it's not. Yeah. And it's unexplainable, but um, yeah. there you go. Even a lost sock. I mean, that's how I, I yeah. try to reference it. I mean, you're going to feel that missing piece and on some sliding scale of impact and frequency, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I this is... <laughs> I'm not trying to compare death to losing a sock, but... This is how I wrap my brain around it. Like, I broke my favorite coffee mug. Every time I go to reach for it, it's like, ah, <laughs> uh, you know? And I mean, I would assume that it's the same for loved ones that go to pull their phone up when they've had something amazing or terrible happen and they go to call that person again. Definitely. You know, it's, you're gonna feel it somewhere. Yeah. And you have to be open to that. I think that's one of the biggest parts of the biggest blessings of being a human is the fact that we have emotions. And feelings. I mean, I I think that it is both terrible and beautiful at the same time, that grieving process. And it makes us human. I mean, it really does. And if we try to circumvent that, one, I feel like it's dishonoring the person that's moved on. Mm -hmm. If we either say, I'm going to fall into grief or I'm going to ignore it, if we go the extreme one way or the other. Um, And being there truly for that person, I think it should hurt. I mean, you've lost someone. It should hurt. Yeah. Period. End of story. And I I hate to see people, you know, think they need to move through it quickly or just completely numb out and be like, I don't want to feel it at all. I mean, I've been there. But truly being present in that feeling is keeping that person alive inside of you. Oh, yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it really is. That whole time you're grieving them, they're there with you. That's just another part of their life process. Yeah. And the longer that you keep them in your memories and pass on stories about them, I talked about it in a previous episode. I mean, that's what legacy is to me. You live on forever as long as someone remembers you or remembers a story of you. I mean, you're you're alive in their memory forever. Well, and you know, when we talk about um, how people make us better mm. and how uh, we grow, 
so to me, that's part of a legacy. It's it it's more than just a story to reminisce about, yeah. but that person grew you. Yeah. And then here you are standing there as evidence yeah. of them in your life. Yeah, they're a part of you. It's really interesting with with the hospice piece. Um, you know, we try to prepare our families as much as possible. Um, and so, and, and they, it's a waiting game. So they're exhausted. They're waiting yeah. at those few final moments can be definitely, um, stressful. Um, so much so that when the patient finally passes, there's a, an element of relief. Yeah. But in the ICU, if I can share, yeah. um, that, you know, people are continually hopeful, hopeful, hopeful. Mm-hmm. And then when we have to come in and say, you know, I'm sorry, or, you know, here's the emergency or the code didn't go through. And then yeah. they're, they're raw in the moment. Yeah. Let me, sh- let me share with you an observation. Yeah. I don't speak generally. African families, they'll come in larger numbers, yeah, they will fall out. Yeah, they grieve. Yeah, they're crying on each other's shoulders. It's like the tearing of the. They the shirt. do yeah. it, and you know, and and I've I've had a chance uh, in my experience to to kind of circle back around to ask some questions because I have questions. Yeah. Um, you know what what is is this a production? Is this you know what? And they're like they they grieve and get it over with. Yeah, they're in the moment. It's powerful. I mean, they fall on the floor the whole nine yards, yeah. and, and you know, and as. As, care, as hospital professionals, we give them space. We give yeah. them a protected space. You know, we make sure there's no traffic mm-hmm. um, for them to do this, and we give them as long as they want. Yeah. Where, and I'm using it very generically. You know, the Protestant mm-hmm. couple that comes in to see there, it's they're quiet. Yeah. They're shut down, mm-hmm. and I think you know, in a class we talked about how um, they will hold that at bay. For months, if yeah. not years, yeah. and never grieve, Ugh. and I think that's that's very detrimental to your emotional yeah. status because you're still going to have it in you absolutely the whole time, yeah, and it's just going to be like a hive of bees just right under your skin, right. just just ready at all times. And the amount of energy expenditure that you're having to use to hold that in, yeah, I I can totally see why it makes so much more sense. I'm trying to remember the specific words that it talks about in the Old Testament, the uh, rending of the clothing, uh-huh. like that expressive show of grief, and it tells you how to grieve in the Old Testament, which is very interesting to me. <laughs> Because, I mean, I guess you needed a playbook back then and it before psychologists and all that. But you truly like a physical manifestation and or you move into the Victorian era and grieving periods and grieving clothes and yeah. shielding your face. A physical expression right. of grief is extremely helpful for most of history. And we like want to quiet that down. I, I think again because we're so afraid to talk about death and dying. Period. Right. We don't want to touch it, so we. I, I feel like people don't feel like they have the space to do it. Or what about the stigmas? Ah, uh, you know, yeah. for for the you know the man that said you know men don't cry. Uh huh. You know, and then uh, and I you know for men that wanted to shed a tear because you know they're a mama's boy, and yeah. I, I mean that respectfully. You know, and, and they, they won't, they're not going to, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it because men don't cry and uh-huh. I need to be strong for my family. And it's yeah. just like, just, just take this moment. Just, Go by yourself. Just take this moment and just let that energy, however it manifests in you. Yeah. Just let it go. Scream on a mountaintop, something, you I, know. So my hospice patients, the stories that I get when the family's present there. Yeah. Um, and because you asked this question earlier. 
And I was hoping we could circle back around to it because the stories are incredible. But um, one of my favorite ones is... Um, boy, she, they just took fantastic care of their mother, mm-hmm. and, and apparently she was just a treasured member of their family. Yeah. And so um, she knew we had prepared her. It was going to be within 24 to 48 hours, yeah. um, and she was doing a great job. And she said, Mom just didn't look right. And I just said, Mom, are you okay? And I reached in to hug her, and she literally took her last breath while I was embracing her in bed Mm -hmm. and I felt my body pulled towards her in the bed. I felt like I was going to just fall in the bed with her. Wow. And she goes, what do you think that is? And of course my response to most of my questions are, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? Yeah. Um, And she goes, I think that was her spirit leaving her. Yeah. Um, I've had patients um, talk to people that have passed before Mm. And I'm, and one woman, they're passing. Mm-hmm, yeah. one woman was, um, uh, conscious enough to say, um, I said, is your, I hear that your sister and your brother are here have come to visit you. Mm-hmm. And she goes, yeah. And I said, what are they saying? She says, they're waiting for me. Mm. And I said, are you going, are you ready to go with them? She said, no, I told them not now. I said, <laughs> I said, they're going to come back. She goes, no, they're waiting right there. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh. So I mean, this, these this is these people's reality. The veil is thin. Very thin. <laughs> and so I, you know, we talk about when I think about my death, I, I don't have any preconceived notion. I just how could yeah? I, I, I yeah. don't. I don't you know lay, lament on that. But I, yeah. I'm like, what? Is, what is my? Where is my mind gonna go? It's, it's kind of like cool to think about. I think it's for a me. little cool. I but do. again, we don't have that fear piece. So it's I, to me, it's really interesting. Like, I've felt a little connected with Woo Woo my whole life, so <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of people showing up. And, I mean, I God willing, I'll be dying when I'm really old, so I'm thinking parents and, you know, other loved ones and friends along the way. Like, that's really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like that will be such a profound experience to end on should that be the way I go out, mm-hmm. or I could go out sleeping, or I could go out uh, I was going to be really crass, so I'm going to avoid that. <laughs> Some way, way better. Well, for me, probably not for the other person. But, yeah, I think that it's important that we visit it and allow your brain to go there to get over that fear so you're not motivated by it anymore, so you're not risk-averse or risk-attracted or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can be there for other people in your life because you've dealt with your own thoughts on your own morality. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just a, a, a valuable opportunity yeah. if you have the opportunity to be with somebody in a home yeah. that's um, expiring yeah. um, and the disease process is, is unfolding naturally. Yeah. I mean, you just think about what an amazing blessing to get out of your own self yeah. and to um, serve yeah. Someone that can no longer take care of themselves. They cannot pay and, you back. And, they, n- yeah. Right. I mean, that, what, like a true gift. Exactly. Honestly. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that gift with us a little bit. Oh, yes. I appreciate you so much. And I want everybody to go check out your lovely videos. Oh, yes. Mr. Tony. He's, <laughs> he's trying to be a YouTube star. We need to help him out. Bless his heart, he's my little so pup. Yeah. So good. <laughs> but thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. I've enjoyed it. Next time. See you.